Before I begin my message this morning, I've been asked by church leadership to share in all our services this weekend that Wilbur Tagg passed away last Sunday. Most of you already were aware of this. His absence is a tremendous loss for our church as he served us here as an elder for 35 years. Next to Steve Reeves, who performed his funeral yesterday, I considered Wilbur the face and steady hand behind the strong growth and the leadership of this church since the mid-1980s. So please remember to pray for Becky and uh, their children, Clista and Aaron, and the families as they grieve his passing. Wilbur was a champion of global missions. He had a lot to do with integrating missions into the life of this church. A few months ago when I was asked to preach this weekend, I thought it would be the right time to have a video greeting from our global partners to the church and places from all over the world. And that's still gonna happen at the end of this service, but now I'd like to give it added meaning and dedicate it to the well-lived life and global heart of Wilbur Tagg. We'll miss him. But I wanna tell you about someone else in this church. <clears throat> Two years ago, a man named Mr. Wells, not his real name, came up to me after a church service. He's a member of our church. And he said he wanted to talk to me about something. So over lunch, he told me of a very specific dream, and he described in detail a girl he believed was African. He felt it was no ordinary dream. It had stopped him, made him think, weighed on his heart, and he wondered if I would know what to do. Not a lot to go on. <clears throat> so I asked him to look at a photo uh, of some schoolgirls that Zan Lyons and Amy Steffi had recently taken on a trip to Kenya. Is the girl in this picture? No, she wasn't there. I said, well, I'll, I'll pray and think about it and get back to you. I soon remembered a blog post about Zan and Amy's trip and sent it to Mr. Wells to see if that would help. He contacted me soon after and said, you missed it by one picture. The one that's above the picture you showed me is of a local village. There's a family standing in front of their house. And on the end, that's the girl of my dreams. So, whoa, a needle in a haystack, we found her. He had described her well before he had ever seen her picture. We were both elated. I told him that John Cachet, one of our global partners, sponsored this girl's sister in high school to keep her from an early marriage. It's one of his ministries. Mr. Wells felt he was supposed to help this girl from his dream, to which John replied she was simply lacking the funds to go to school like her sister. So arrangements were made, Mr. Wells gave some money, and he no longer felt stopped. He was helping this girl in his dream to go to school. So this had gone somewhere, and we kept it going. Mr. Wells wanted to help the family. Ten goats were bought and given to this girl's father to restart his herd from nothing. Then Mr. Wells wanted to help the whole community. The small church meeting under a tree started to grow. So we wanted to know, what does a community need? So John Keshe went out to the village about an hour and a half away met with the local village elders, and word came back. Water is their number one need. So Mr. Wells made a large donation. John Keshe did all the groundwork, and earlier this year in July, they struck water at Olenchikoine. Mid-October, we received word that the community was ready for phase two of the well project so that the whole village could benefit. Mr. Wells asked for the cost estimate, received it, made another donation, and soon... A few thousand villagers in a forgotten dusty area in Africa are going to receive daily access to safe and abundant water. All from a dream. 
Over the two years of this ongoing story, Mr. Wells has lived out the values that we have been preaching about in our Rooted series. We call these our all-in values. Take time to write them down if you haven't yet. These are the four. Generosity, spiritual growth, community, service. Here's how Mr. Wells lived those out. Generosity, he gave generously to make a well a reality. Spiritual growth, God got his attention in a dream and he followed up in obedience. Community, an entire village came together to agree on their number one need and the church has grown. In service, Mr. Wells serves his family and this community. He may even serve on a mission trip one day, go meet this community and this girl and their family and he may wash his hands in the water that was only a dream. Don't you love that story? It's a great story. This is a Global Impact Weekend, and as a Global Impact Director, I was asked to speak about this part of our DNA as a church. I don't know if you got the memo. I did, because I sent it out, <clears throat> about dressing internationally. So this is from Ethiopia. If you dressed internationally and you have the courage, would you stand up, please? Mm-hmm. One, two, three, four, five. Let's give these people a hand. Remain standing, please. Thank you for doing that, because by doing that, you're actually part of the lesson today. You can sit down now. You're part of the lesson today because you show us that God exists in other parts of the world, and you'll see our global partners from all parts of the world. So as we walk around dressed differently in these types of different outfits, we're saying God matters everywhere. And so thank you for those of you who did that. God matters to you, and God matters to those people that you dress to represent today. So thank you for that. Connection Point existence is rooted in God's kingdom work all over the world. The story of Mr. Wells is proof of this. God spoke to him in a dream. When Adam Lynch spoke a few weeks ago about living sent lives, all of us, this included some of our own church members that we have sent to live and minister in other countries. And I am going to interview one of those young families on stage in just a few minutes. But before I do, I want us to consider what the Apostle Paul did when he felt weighed down in his spirit like Mr. Wells did, troubled Paul was as he walked through Athens. Paul's situation required a very different approach than Mr. Wells and I took, yet it was the right one for the environment that Paul knew he needed to influence. He paid attention to what was going on and put together his next steps. If you have a Bible, turn to Acts 17, otherwise it'll be up here on the screen. And if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, please stop at the Connection Corner, and I think they'll have one to give you. So let's start in Acts 17 and verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, some friends of his, he was deeply troubled by all the idols he saw everywhere in the city. He went to the synagogue to reason with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles, and he spoke daily in the public square to all who happened to be there. He also had a debate with some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. When he told them about Jesus and his resurrection, they said, what's this babbler trying to say with these strange ideas he's picked up? Others said he seems to be preaching about some foreign gods. Have you ever been stirred up in your heart and mind over something that you just couldn't let go of, it was stuck in there? I'm not talking about being nervous or afraid but something that's bothering you, that's bigger than you, that you feel like you want to do something about, that's where Paul was. He needed to act. He talked to all different kinds of people in all kinds of places in Athens because he was troubled in his spirit. 
He couldn't get it out of his mind, just like Mr. Wells. He wanted to understand these people of Athens and persuade them to see there was a better way to please God than idol worship. Epicurean and Stoic philosophies caught my attention. I did a bit of uh, research on it. I read a book uh, called The Religions of the Roman Empire by John Ferguson. And in short, the Epicurean's life was about pleasure, live for now. They believed existence ended at death, and they believed the resurrection couldn't happen. The Stoics believed life was not something to be enjoyed or endured. They just believed it was an attitude, and then you just kind of took what you got. They believed the soul continued after death for a bit, but then it was uh, absorbed into the divine fire. They also would say the resurrection could not happen. It's a bit confusing, so I'll give it to you simply in Winnie the Pooh terms. Epicureans were Tigger, Stoics were Eeyore. Okay, does that help? Okay, that's what Paul was talking to. So, he, no, no wonder he was debating with them. They had this very different way of looking at life, and he knew the resurrected Christ who had spoken to him on the road to Damascus, and he wanted them to believe that too. His efforts paid off. Look what happened to him. Then they took him to the high council of the city. Come and tell us this new teaching, they said. You are saying some rather strange things, and we want to know what it's all about. It should be explained that all the Athenians as well as the foreigners in Athens seem to spend all their time discussing the latest ideas. So Paul, having demonstrated at street level his ability to explain this new idea, was invited to speak in the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus was not only a place, but it also referred to the group of Athenian leaders who met there, kind of like a city council, as the message uh, says, the passage says. And they gathered there to consider certain kinds of criminal trials, but also to have these debates about religion and philosophy. So what Paul said to this setting, these power brokers of Athens, was masterful, I think. He stood before this influential group that had a variety of worldviews and caught all of them. And he spoke to them about what was troubling him, their idols. This is what he says. Men of Athens, I notice that you are religious in every way. For as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines. And one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. So Paul is saying that he's going to start on common ground respectfully with a topic that they were already interested in, which is a good example to us when we're trying to relate with people who think differently with us. Start with respect on common ground. So Paul, understanding that religious and philosophical ideas were the culture's mainstay, he brings up this altar to an unknown God. Unknown? Not anymore. Paul is about to tell them, you can know the unknown God. And as he talks, three things are going to happen simultaneously. He will introduce them to their unknown God. He will discredit their known gods. And he will acknowledge the truth they already have as a bridge to God's truth. So here's how he starts. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. The unknown God is their creator. He's saying it's not your gods. 
as Lord of the universe, he can't be contained in your shrines and does not need for you to bring him food, drink, flowers, incense, or anything else. It's the other way around. You need him. He is the one who provides you food and drink, the air you breathe, and all other things to sustain life. So we can say when it comes to needs, he satisfied. God is the one who satisfies needs. Moving on, Paul says, from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. Meaning, this unknown God did not marry like your gods to produce offspring. He is the creator, including creating humans. From this creation of humans, God developed Ethnos, meaning ethnicities. That's the word nations in this verse. Now, I want to read this verse again in a different translation and notice something very fascinating. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God created ethnic groups to inhabit the earth and their communities. And these people groups being made into nations would not only have their certain place in which to dwell, they would have an appointed time in which they did well on a global scale. The history of the world bears this out. Different civilizations have had their times of greatness, but not one of them has stayed at the top. So we can say when it comes to the outcome of nations, he determines. Countries are born and die. Boundary lines are redrawn. Power and influence ebb and flow over centuries. What this tells me is that the rise and fall of nations affects when people are open to God. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And we need to pay attention to that. Look at this next verse. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. Each of us has been born into a time in history, a place in history, a people group in history for this purpose to seek after God. And included in this, we each have a part to play from our locality where we live that fits with God's purpose for the nations or for the ethnos. Sometimes those ethnos come right to us because their country is in upheaval and they're running for their lives. They need a change. Other times we need to go to them. So can you see how important it is for us to understand the times we live in? It's not easy. How many times have any of us had a notion we knew just what God was up to on a big scale or in our own individual lives, and then we wake up the next day and realize oh, it's kind of gone the other way. We didn't quite understand. So we can say when we come up with our notions, he surprises God has much bigger plans with far greater purposes that can surprise us. So, for example, how many of us really understood that oppressive governments in Ethiopia and China would cause the church to grow? It did. Do we see that it's happening now in the Middle East, India, and Indochina, where we have global partnerships in all three places? God continues to create environments and situations that will open up people groups and entire nations to his love and grace through Jesus Christ. It can be a painful place where he meets us, like in these nations that are struggling. God is still meeting people there. I do not like to see the suffering, 
but somehow God still speaks to those people's lives. And I believe he's got each of us right where he wants us to prepare us to know him. Our global partners all over the world are in places they believe are primed for people to feel their way toward God. They are satisfying God's need for global workers. They are the ones who host our mission trips. And the reasons we go are to support and encourage their work. It's fun to be part of that. Another thing we are a part of is a Connection Point family who's planning to return to Europe. So Zach and Haley, will you come on out, please? They are planning to return to Europe to provide a place for young people to come and seek after God. So would you welcome Zach and Haley to the stage? So we've got a nice little picture up here of someone. You want to tell us who that is? And that is our beautiful little girl, Lainey, who's about three and a half months old. Okay, yeah, she looks great. We could finish right now and be happy, couldn't we? <laughs> this is great. Okay, so she's backstage with a, mm -hmm. with a caring grandmother, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. in good hands. These are good parents. I didn't abandon her. Yeah, she's in good hands. So you have a history at the church, so tell us a little bit about that. Yes, so Haley and I have been here with the church for probably about 20 years, so it started when we were really little and been here ever since. Um, we both have served here at the church in the children's area. Um, we started with a group of kids who were about two or three at the time um, and are now third graders. Um, a little bit of history about us. Haley uh, actually graduated from the University of Indianapolis with a nursing degree. I graduated from Olivet Nazarene University with a social work degree, and we've been married for three and a half years. Okay, long history here at the church. Mm -hmm. Okay, so your story, I love your story. So just take us kind of from the beginning kind of to where you're at today. Um, so our journey really begins um, before we even met when we were little. Um, and so for me, I've always felt a whisper on my heart to go into global missions since I was young. There's just something I never understood, but I just knew that that's what I was going to do. And for Zach, he felt called into global missions um, when he was in high school after he started going on short-term mission trips to other states. And so when we first met, we re realized that we shared that passion for global missions, mm -hmm. um, which was pretty amazing. And um, so when we got married, we knew that that's where God was going to call us. And we knew that we were going to go down that path at some point. Um, we just didn't know when. And when we first got married, we kind of put that on hold um, to try and get out of debt as much as possible because we wanted to be as free as we could be to go wherever he called us to go. Um, and then about two years ago, you spoke um, the Global Missions Weekend. And I remember we were sitting over there and the whole time I was just restless in my spirit and I just knew that God was waking us up again, this dream. Um, and he was just calling us to move again. And at the end of your sermon, you um, asked if anybody was feeling called into missions to write your name down and you would get in contact with them. And we didn't even talk about it. We just looked at each other and we just knew like this is time. Um, so we wrote our names down and then we joined a small group with you and Connie and that's where we felt really encouraged to get back into this and try and figure out where God was calling us and when. And you guys encouraged us to go on to a short-term mission trip together. We'd been on individual trips but never on a trip together. And so 
we started looking at all the trips and um, found a trip to the Balkans. We didn't know anything about the country we were going to, but we, what drew us in was sports. Um, we both love sports and the idea of using sports as a mission field. And so um, that's the trip we went on last summer. And um, we were doing sports camps throughout a couple villages with um, one of the missionaries there, Caleb and Heather. So. Wait, you went in 2016, right? Not yeah. this last summer. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 2016. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Um, So um, during that mission trip, we got to share our testimonies at those sports camps with the kids. Um, And during one of Haley's, during Haley's testimony, actually, um, afterwards, a little girl had asked, who's this Jesus you're talking about? Um, She she didn't know? She'd never heard? She had never heard the name. Um, And it opened the the door to sharing the gospel with her um, through the leader um, so that really opened all of our hearts. Um, that really got us on fire. And, you know, none of us had really heard somebody say, who, who is this Jesus you're talking about? Um, so that was striking for us. Um, so during that time, we got to visit a school, Caleb and Heather's parents, John and Ruth. Um, they have a school, and they allowed us to go through, tour it. And they joked with Haley and I, they joked that, oh, we need a science teacher. Haley, you could be our science teacher. And Zach, you're, you're a social worker, so you could be our school counselor. Uh, it would be fun. You guys could do it. Um, we thought nothing of it. We just, yeah, it, it was what it was. It was a joke. Um, so we returned home. Uh, we were both on fire, really restless, um, and knew God was telling us we needed to do something. Um, we both felt like maybe it was to go back there, but we didn't know in what way. So we stayed up late one night. Uh, Haley's a planner, so Haley was planning out um, what we would do, how it would work, um, maybe when we would have a kid in between there. And, um, <laughs> I like that plans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that worked, yes. yeah. <laughs> and so um, at the end of that, we prayed. And Haley, being the planner, she just said, you know what, we release this to you, God. This is, this is in your hands. We want to do what it is that you are calling us to do. Um, we j- just show us what it is. Um, and so a few hours later, we had gotten an email. Um, so this was late in the evening for us, but early in the morning for John and Ruth. Um, so they had emailed us probably only a few hours after we had prayed, um, answering that prayer uh, for God. Um, they asked us to come back and be the school counselor and a teacher. And so it was four <laughs> weeks later. We had to drop everything we were doing. We both had to quit our jobs that we really thought that's what we were going to do forever because we loved it. Well, not forever, but we were really enjoying the jobs we were doing. Um, and so it was four weeks later. We did all that, and there were lots of different hurdles we had to get through, but we did. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I noticed last night it was just a couple hours, and the email mm-hmm. came through. Yeah. And then four weeks after you came back, you returned again. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't always happen that fast, so <laughs> just so you know. I also heard this was a hot spot over here, so look at I'm not kidding, Yeah. <laughs> so, all right, so you brought us up to where you are mm-hmm. now, so yeah, and carry so, on. So we were there for about nine months, and in those nine months, we just completely fell in love with the culture and the people. Um, it's a very warm and friendly and hospitable culture, and um, the culture, the people are very open to hearing about Jesus, and they're... Um, 
seeking that truth. Yeah. But it's a very hard culture to um, actually see people come to accept Jesus mm -hmm. because the Muslim faith is so deeply rooted in their culture and in families. And so to deny the Muslim faith and to accept Jesus would ultimately to them be um, denying their family and family is everything there. And so seeing that firsthand, we realized to really make a difference for the kingdom of God, um, we had to be there long-term and we had to build relationships with people and get to know people. And so that's why we wanna go back. Okay. So you're not really on a, a big timetable, but you are planning to go back. So what do you plan to do when you go back? Um, so while we were there, we saw a need with the children. Uh, there's not a lot of activities for them to get out and do. Um, it, there's a really, if you don't have money there, you really can't, can't do much. And it's a very poor community, poor country. Um, so when we go back, we want to open a community center, um, offering kids a safe place to be, a place to be loved and to learn about Jesus. Um, and giving them things to do while, while we're there. Mm -hmm. Okay. So through this journey, mm -hmm. at least two years, but really so many years. Mm -hmm. And I also should point out, I noticed too, your work with kids mm -hmm. here. You're going to work with children there. I mean, that, that's a heartbeat of yours, mm -hmm. sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So through this journey that you've been on, what have you learned? What has God taught mm -hmm. you through all this? One of the things that he continues to teach me over and over again um, is that we're all called, like you guys have been talking about, we're all called for, to go somewhere, sent lives, um, whether it's just in your backyard, in another city, state, or for us, another country. Um, but in going means you have to leave something behind, and we learn that the hard way at first. And so for us, the things that we had to leave behind were jobs, but more importantly was family and friends. Um, and that was really hard at first. And when I um, think about leaving this next time, I'm overcome with sadness sometimes at yeah. the fact what we have to leave again. Um, but what he continues to teach me, um, which he doesn't need to, but he continues to because my heart is so weak, but he continues just to say, I am better and I'm worth it. I'm worth the sacrifice. Um, so he just continues to teach me that time and time again. Good. And for me, it's, um, and I think for both of us really mm -hmm. through this journey, it's been his faithfulness. Um, mm -hmm. There are lots of big hurdles and lots of small hurdles we had to get through to getting there and while we were there. Um, and just time and time again, God really proved that he's faithful and um, there was no other option. We had to lean into him and mm -hmm. um, yeah, the whole time just proved his faithfulness to us. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Have you noticed how they play off of each other here? They're, they're talking to each other. You know, this, this is a live thing, and mm -hmm. the timetable when they go back is not exact yet. Um, we're working with them through this, and uh, God has his ideas on when the right time is. Mm -hmm. We'll help you guys discern that together. Mm -hmm. This affects a whole family. You heard parents, siblings. It's a whole family. And so when we send two people and a little girl, we've got a whole family that we're trying to care for too. So we're with all of you. I want you to know that. And uh, it's, it's a powerful thing that you're doing because you're demonstrating faith in action. 
and you're showing your families, we love you, but we think God has us go in there. And I've talked to your families, they're with you, which is a gift, mm -hmm. and they believe in you, and we do too. Thank you. So can we show them the support and love they deserve and thank them for coming. Yeah, I do have one of the best jobs around here, I'll tell you that. <clears throat> Love being with these people. Well, let's go back to our text in the Scriptures, and we're going to now see Paul use their literature as an analogy to make his point. Missiologists call this thing of making a point with using things in that culture a redemptive analogy, meaning God's presence and truth preexisted the messenger in the framework of culture, language, stories, nature. That is true everywhere in the world. This makes part of the job of cross-cultural workers to discover what those things are in that culture and then redeem them by giving them Christian meaning that leads to a moment when the people of that culture say, oh, aha, oh, I understand. I see God has been here all along because indeed he is not far from any one of us. Let's see what Paul says next to the people in Athens. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The Cretan philosopher Epimenides is actually the one who wrote, for in him we live and move and exist. But Paul takes this simple sentence and is about to infuse it with truth about God. He's going to redeem it for God's purpose. That's a redemptive analogy. It reminds me of the Maasai song forms that were redeemed. The style was kept, but Christian words were put into their tunes. So everybody sang them because they were familiar, even non-believers. That's a redemptive analogy. There's another phrase in this uh, one verse, we are his offspring. That's from another Stoic philosopher named Eratus. Why is this important? Because the Stoic philosophers were in that audience that Paul was listening to, that Paul was talking to. They knew what he was doing. He was using their beloved poetry, the things that they knew, and he's taking that and he's with containing some truth and he's going to redeem it to illustrate what he said in the previous verse, that God is not far from any one of us. So we can say that in regards to any search for knowledge, he reveals. God and his truth is the knowledge underneath all slivers of truth in any culture. I believe truth is truth no matter where it's found, and I believe that God is a source of all that truth. That applies here too. So I encourage you to be on the lookout for God's truth in any people, places, situations that you encounter, and see how God can help you use that piece of truth to bring in his full truth. So Paul now uses their pieces of truth and he's going to draw a different conclusion that they're going to have to honestly consider because they're philosophers. He says, and since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. So Paul's thinking is something like this, his reasoning. He was saying, let's go with your philosophy and agree that we are offspring of God. If that's true, then why are these idols being made out of gold, silver, and stone? That's not what we're made of. 
but yet you say we are offspring of God. How can that be? Wouldn't it be better to conclude that since we are flesh and his offspring, then God would be flesh too? These shrines are full of gods that can't be real because God was not carved into existence any more than we were. Boom, there it is. God came in flesh, Paul is telling them. If we're his offspring, we can't be like these idols. So he's reasoned away their carved idols, and that's left a void. And now this gives him a chance to bring a new understanding of God to their worldview. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. Paul is saying, don't be misled as so many have been in times past. God simply wants people to admit that they have sinned and turned to him. That's when faith comes to life. It is not in lifeless idols in your shrines. So we can say that when it comes to living out faith in God, what is necessary, he commands. Don't make following God so hard. It's not. Don't make faith a bunch of do's and don'ts. It's not. Pleasing the gods, meeting their needs, and understanding what they want can be very heavy and complex. But in contrast, pleasing the one true God is simple. Repent and look to him. Your food, your drink, your flowers, those are for you to enjoy. Paul then brings his final point that got him the invitation to speak in the first place. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Judgment, in their worldview, judgment was a foregone conclusion as they were simply the playthings of the gods. This life was what mattered and what happened after didn't matter because it wasn't determined by their decisions in this life. But Paul was saying, yes, it is up to you and eternity is determined by your choices. That's true of us today. Justice, not justice by the gods. Paul said, justice by the man, not justice by a jury, not justice by the law. It was justice by the man God appointed with the credential of risen. I love that. Raising someone from the dead, well, they did not love it there. The Epicureans and Stoics believed that this was hardly possible to do. So this is the outcome that it led to. When they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. That ended Paul's discussion with them. But some joined him and became believers. Among them were Dionysius, a member of the council, a woman named Damaris, and others with them. All in the Areopagus were now challenged by Paul, the glorious Parthenon that had been dedicated to their patron goddess Athena, which their city was named after, that was above them on the Acropolis, Acropolis, visible from where they were listening to Paul. I've had a few people talk to me who went to Greece, who went to Athens, and they stood on Mars Hill where Paul gave this message, and above them was this magnificent Acropolis where these idols would have been housed. And Paul is preaching from that point, and they can see this thing above his shoulder. 
And he's saying to them, your idols I've just discredited. And so now they've got to be faced with something. They have to figure out how to respond somehow to the resurrection of Christ. And these are the three responses that they give to the resurrection of Christ. Skepticism, seeking clarity, and belief. That's what we see. So let me ask, what is your response to the resurrection of Jesus Christ? He died and rose again. I believe that. There's a lot of proof that says it was true. But people are skeptical, or they say, maybe, I'd like to hear more, or others say, I'm in. But as I studied this verse, I noticed that there was actually another response. A few joined him. And you know what that meant to join Paul? Missionary travel. That was the fourth response because right after this, Paul went to Corinth. So Dionysius, Damaris, and maybe some of the others, if they joined him, they went to Corinth too. So does that strike a chord with any of you like it did with Dionysius and Damaris or like it did with Zach and Haley? You feel God is stirring you to consider serving overseas for one year or more? Zach and Haley were sitting here two years ago and they said, yeah, I feel that stirring. I would love to help you settle that question. Connie and I, my wife Connie and I, will be starting a second group for people who are seriously wanting to explore if missionary service is for them. So after the service, come out these doors to the Global Impact Area against the brick wall in the lobby and look for a little small roundup table, it spins, and there's a little placard there that says Exploring Missionary Service. Connie will be there. I think Giles and Allison Emery are here today uh, from Kenya. They will be back there too. Uh, there'll be some others who have served for one year or more. They'll be there to talk to you about what it is that's stirring in your heart. And if you want to be part of that group, give them your information, and we can talk about next steps from there. And that brings me back to where we started, because we are rooted globally here at Connection Point because God has people that he is challenging in so many ways through leadership like Wilbur Tagg, through a dream like Mr. Wells, through exploring missionary service like Zach and Haley, through going on a mission trip like 120 people have done this year, through prayer, through a global care team. These are groups of people that are designated for each of our global partners and they get together to pray for them. They send them little gifts. They help them when they come back. They provide logistical support. They're their main point of contact, not necessarily me from over, overseas. So they have a small group of people here they can count on to care for them. We also have child sponsorship that God has stirred people to. 650 children are sponsored, uh, sponsoring children in other places in the world. Kenya, Guatemala, Swaziland, and now Navajo. All four of those opportunities are available again today out here by this brick wall in the lobby. If God is stirring you to sponsor a child, we would love to have that conversation with you. We have some representatives from our organizations to help you go through that process. You'll make a difference in a child's life, a global impact, and you never have to leave the county. You can write to them. There are ways you can still touch the world. And of course, as Adam said, through living a sent life, and we are sending others all around the world, we all have a prompting, a place in God's global kingdom. This concept of being sent was started by God himself, who sent his son to die on a cross for our sins. 
He was the ultimate redemptive analogy. And we are going to remember Jesus now as we do every week, as many people have done all around the world already, by sharing the bread and the cup together and taking communion as a community of believers. So as that has passed to you today, please hold the bread and the cup, and we will have someone come lead us together and take it together as followers of Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for working all around the world. It is incredible to think how active your spirit is in every country in this world, among every ethnic group. In some places, many people believe, in some places, few. But you have created us all in your image. We all represent you in some way. The the touch of the divine is on us. So I pray that we as followers of Christ can help people discover your presence in their lives, your presence in their community, in their country, in their ethnic group. Thank you, Father, that you are always there. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who came and made a way for us to have touch with you and to touch the world through his coming and living a life, dying on a cross for our sins and being raised again to new life to give us hope and new life as well. As we take communion today, we do it in his honor to remember our Lord Jesus Christ for giving us a reason to live every day. May we live every day in honor of you because you are worth it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.